0: When people don't agree with you, is usually the biggest opportunity for a deeper understanding. Because if you, if you agree with each other, if you're in violent agreement, there's nothing to be learned. But when people don't agree, that's the most interesting potential conversation. Trying to figure out, well, why do you, why do you come to a really different conclusion? So there's an opportunity. If you, know, if you can withstand the criticism, you know, it's part of the scientific process.
1: One of the best parts about my work is that I get to meet literally all kinds of people. Today's guest is no exception to that. She is certainly one of those all kinds. Dr. Andrea Gez. Uh, Andrea is, if you look on Wikipedia, you'll learn all kinds of interesting things, Uh, but Andrea, at at the top of the Wikipedia explanation, is identified as an astronomer and a professor in the Department of Physics and Astronomy at a little campus not far from here, uh, two miles from here, called UCLA. In October of this year, Andrea was awarded the Nobel Prize in Physics. She is only the fourth woman ever to be awarded the Nobel Prize in physics. Uh, And as I found out about this, I became unalterably convinced that Andrea would be an interesting guest. Uh, And she is nice enough uh, to sit here on what is actually the last day of the lovely year of 2020 uh, to talk to us. So Andrea, thank you. Thank you for joining me today.
0: It's my pleasure,
1: Drew. Thank you. Thank you. So how do you have a normal conversation, a conversation with someone who is now obviously at the very, very top of her field? How do you have a conversation when you are not, you meaning me, uh, not someone who is in astronomy and physics and quite frankly, far from it, but how have you managed in your relationships around campus, and in the world with such obvious uh, background and depth in science to create and have good conversations with people who aren't as steeped as you are? (laughs)
0: That's such an interesting question, Drew. (laughs) Um, I guess I would say... um In any conversation we have, we try to look for the points of connection. Um, so while I am, an astronomer or an astrophysicist, I am also an educator. I'm also a mom. I'm also a swimmer. So in any conversation, I look for the, the points of commonality. And that's a, that's always a good starting point.
1: Yeah. Do you find people uh, that you're interacting with that, that say you don't know that you're encountering in at at swimming or something to do with your kids or something? Do you find them treating uh, you in a way that feels different because of your accomplishments? Actually, I used to play this game when I traveled.
0: Um, People, If you happen to strike up a conversation with the person sitting next to you, um, people have a very different reaction to um, you saying you're a physicist, you're saying you're an astronomer, versus you're saying you're an astrophysicist, which Mm. to me has been fascinating. So, I quickly learned that if you want to have a very, very, very short conversation, you say you're a physicist, because usually the reaction is, that's hard. That's
1: scary. <laughs> it is.
0: <laughs> if you have, want to have a long conversation, you say you're an astronomer, astronomer. because somehow that is the kinder, gentler um, version of the science question. You know, Everyone's looked up and been curious. And if you want to have a middle conversation, it's astrophysics because that's sort of uh, intriguing, but people don't quite know what to do with it. So, to me, it's fascinating that… Um, just the three different ways I could describe myself, which, you know, are all in some sense equivalent, I mean, fair game. Um, and this is when I was a grad student had such different, uh, reactions. So I find that I often use, I introduce myself as an astronomer as the, uh, as the less intimidating front.
1: Right. And that elongates the conversations. Absolutely. Right.
0: Somehow, and 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 I think that reflects the field. Astronomy has the, um, I think, the benefit of being a field that has tremendous public engagement. Right. Because it just speaks to people's basic curiosity in a way that they can easily engage with. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's always, you know, has looked up and wondered about the immensity of the universe. I mean, it's just hard not to have that sort of fundamental curiosity about the universe in which we live.
1: Yep, yep. Is that what uh, drew you to the field as a younger person?
0: Uh, Yeah, the curiosity, the things that you can't understand about um, space and time, um, I think were sort of fundamentally what um, drew me into
1: this field. And were you at the point when you decided to Obviously, uh, commit and invest into it so deeply. Was there anything else that even rivaled that curiosity that could have been another, say, occupation?
0: Absolutely. I mean, I'm not, I think it's easy to look back in hindsight and tell a narrative about how you got to where you are. But I'm very aware that in the middle of this, I'm not one of those people who knew from age two that I wanted to be um, an astrophysicist or to go into physics or um, to study astronomy. I just, um, I mean, I can locate my early interest in the moon landing, but at the same time, I also wanted to be a ballerina when I grew up. Wow. <laughs> so if I if I ask that question, Authentically, the thing I really can identify is that I love problem solving. I, as a kid, I loved puzzles. I loved jigsaw puzzles. I loved um, crossword puzzles, um, and um, I loved reading um, mysteries. Um, so, to me, this curiosity about the universe—it's—it's it's sort of—it's a big puzzle to be solved. And so I think what became clear when I went to college is that I really liked the um, science and math because there was sort of the logic puzzle or the logical question uh, framework um, that could go around various problems hmm. um, that that really spoke to me. Hmm.
1: So what, looking back, and this can this pr- certainly I hope has application to a number of occupations, um, but. Obviously, looking from the from the inside out at yours, what is it that you believe allowed you to compared to everybody else who went to MIT and then on to you know study obviously things in science, why do you think you succeeded?
0: I f- think because I did something I loved. Yeah, it's finding your passions, finding the things that drive you. I mean, I tell my students, you'll be good at what you love and you'll love what you're good at. You love what you're good at. I mean, right. it's this is right. an interesting feedback. And so, in a sense, part of I think a very human evolution is is that process of trying to figure out what makes us tick, um, what really speaks to us in a in a you know, to our core, so that we have that drive to mm-hmm. overcome the obstacles that do face us in life. I mean, we're, we're all going to face hiccups in life, be they professional, be they personal. So, you know, you have to have that that drive, that resilience to overcome and 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 to to, to thrive.
1: Right. Interesting. As you were growing and advancing, and you became, you won other awards and all the rest. Can you think of any uh, conversations that were especially seminal for you?
0: Oh, gosh, probably a ton. (laughs) Um, I think so much comes out of conversation. I mean, conversation is effectively how we learn, um, how we explore ideas. I can remember a conversation with my uncle, who was a physicist, and he and my dad were just fascinated by um, the idea of how people figured things out, like the early Greeks, how they figured out things like there's, you know, the um, the definition of pi or uh, various other things. But they so they had a fascination for number. And I remember, um, I think I just learned about irrational numbers, and him telling me that you could combine these three numbers that seem quite irrational. So, he said, e to the i pi is negative one. And I was sufficiently young that I didn't know what this meant, but I thought it was so cool that you could combine three irrational numbers and make something rational out out of it. And for me, this was a really informative conversation because it told me that I could find joy in that relationship. Understanding when you have a moment of joy, and w- w- you know what is sparking that joy, um, to use a you know a, a common phrase these days, um, is super important. So um, that was a conversation that I really understood that these right. this was something that that really um, that really excited me.
1: There is not an occupation that I can think of. Again, I meet all kinds uh, that doesn't benefit. From just creating conversations about your work out of out of a notion of you don't know everything that you're going to learn more about it. There's almost a humility to it, and that's how you get better.
0: Absolutely, uh, is what
1: I, is what I is what I come from. And people who think they quote unquote know it all, let's just say they don't make for good clients. That's for sure. Uh, and I wouldn't want to be in their classroom either. You know what I mean? Um, those were always the worst professors, who were there to listen to themselves.
0: In fact, when people don't agree with you, is the usually the biggest opportunity for a deeper ah. understanding. Um, because if you if you agree with each other, if you're in violent agreement, there's yes. nothing to be learned. But when people don't agree. Um, that's the most interesting potential conversation. Trying to figure out, well, why do you why do you come to a really different conclusion? Um, so there's an opportunity if you know if you can withstand the criticism. And in fact, I think this is such a um, and I feel so strongly about this these days, given that we're more and more in a world in which we you know we're all all in our own little bubbles. To really embrace the idea that difference is actually key to to understanding, you know, it's part of the scientific process that we have to question the world in which we live in and speaking to people who have different points of view, be they scientific, be they personal, allows for much deeper understandings, personal growth, all those things.
1: And do you think you personally looking in the mirror, do you do a pretty good job overall of what I guess I would call respectful disagreement?
0: <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, uh, I guess I, I would say I try to. Um, yeah. And certainly uh, my science, you know, this, the, um, I, I've been involved in um, projects that have clear competition. And I think part of the benefit of working, um, having competition in a field is two groups working independently and coming to different conclusions, um, allows you to dig deeper. If there's only, it's sort of like a monopoly. If there's only one big company, you yeah. only get one perspective. You don't get the, the competition or the, maybe the more efficient, the more, uh, well, anyway, in science, it's certainly, yeah. um, uh, an important concept.
1: Yeah. Well, well then let's, let's fast forward to, to your perspective on what's happening to you and your Learning and all the rest these days, uh, post uh, October. Uh, the thing that I, the little bit I understand, aside from being a in a very, very rare group of uh, being women who have won the award, that's sort of well publicized as I as I read up on it. But what really strikes me uh, and, and intrigues me from my professional standpoint is the fact that when you read into the uh, the award you received. It seemed almost like it was a team effort. You split it with somebody else at Berkeley, I believe, or something like that. Again, the names escape me.
0: It's actually two groups who are sharing um, the prize. So Reinhard Genzel, who, uh, his primary affiliation is um, with the Max Planck Institute in Germany. Right. Um, he has a group, and I have a group, and we have been two teams competing against each other uh-huh. for 20 years. So it's not, so you can get at both the competition and the collaboration by looking at this. So the the wonderful thing about the Nobel Prize is that it recognized the two groups that were I independent. See. So when I was alluding to competition and deeper understanding, what I really think about is this other team that's been at this for such a long time with a different telescope, with different instruments and different analysis, and it's been a very public. I mean, it's very it's so it's so common for for these big teams to be um, to have some somebody else. So it's interesting when you collaborate and when you compete. Um, So, I certainly um, have a group of people that I do collaborate with. So, this is my project started when I first joined the faculty at UCLA, and I was looking for a new, you know, new project to start. And I started it with one grad student who worked with me full-time, and then I was collaborating with two two other faculty. So, I was the principal investigator... And it started out small and then as the project went on because time really helps this project i my, my, my standard joke is it's like a lot fine wine it gets better with time because you get more si- right. the scientific potential increases right. as, as the duration of your measurements go on and it also um the the scientific richness of the data set also increases so it also meant that there were more science projects that could be um teased out of this existing data set. So, it meant that more and more people could um, participate. Um, and so, it started off as just a UCLA project with um, with students and then postdocs who came to work with us. And then, as they went off and had their own career, we've collaborated um, with, with them at other institutions. So, I now have collaborators um, uh, in many parts of the world.
1: Right. Right. The the working with this let's talk about your team though right okay. so, so that the again the listeners who listen to this are looking for ways to learn about their teams and about their conversations through the eyes of, of folks like you what would you point to as the if it's possible as to the main dimension of of um, collaboration that has made your team so successful
0: it that's a uh- you're asking for some self-reflection, some you know the, <laughs> there that I'm not sure I have. Um, I, I although, and it's interesting because in fact there's a professor now of information studies who has is collaborating with us to sort of study why we've been successful. Huh. so we now have sort of the. Uh, uh, a partner who's trying to understand why, how is it that we've been able to succeed in keeping a collaboration alive for 25 years? So, keeping the data alive, keeping the code alive, without the without a tremendous amount of infrastructural framework that was set up to do this ahead of time. Mm. And one of her conclusions, which make, totally makes sense to me, is that so much of our software is homegrown. Mm-hmm. At, and in our um, both having to, to teach the next generation of students who come through as well as to further develop it, we keep going back to um, the code and the old data sets to reanalyze it. We have to open up and continually um, re-educate ourselves or re- recall, refresh um, which we also do through the process of teaching. So, grad oh. students have this interesting cycle. So, a typical PhD um, is five or six years. So, in some sense, every time a student comes in, you have to kind of go through the whole You know, it's an apprenticeship, so you're you're going through the whole procedure. um, So you're reviewing, and in in a sense, that that keeps your understanding of the framework or how to do this this project or all the different parts that have been developed. This was not such a big issue in the beginning, but now, 25 years later, it's a huge issue. It's a huge challenge for us of um, of keeping the know-how alive within an academic setting. So this summer, I did something that I'd never done before, which was rather than hiring just one student or two students that worked on their individual projects, I had these two students work on the same project. Mm -hmm. And then I decided to work with them to start reading all our old papers. So we just reviewed, we did a reading project, and then we invited all the undergrads that were associated with the team to participate in this reading project. And it was so wonderful to go through our old papers and explain why we were doing things the way we did it at the time, and to have them um, come up to speed and ask their questions, which just forces you to go through your understanding. And I guess that's 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 a key. So in in training, it's it's like there was it was definitely a two way street because they are getting the opportunity to learn. And in reviewing this, I'm coming to it from a different point of view. In other words, right. you know, 25 later, you see your work that you were doing 15 years ago very differently. Um, so I think teaching is an interesting
1: form of dialogue. It's one big conversation, in essence, right? that, that's constantly going back and needing to go forward. Mm-hmm. Right? So the, the, mm-hmm. the one of the most pseudoscientific things I ever read uh there's a guy at, at Harvard uh in psychology named Dan Gilbert. Uh and he wrote an article in time that said, you know, the human brain <clears throat> is the only brain known that actually travels in time. <laughs> right? You can go back. I mean, that can be true in a personal relationship, in a work relationship, whatever it is, is how you manage your time travel with people, with a team. Um I don't know, I was just thinking about uh, Professor Gilbert's uh, insight there as you were describing some of that. I really wanted to get to just one more uh, thing about the prize. Um, Again, another speech I once watched was from this very famous author, a a female author named Elizabeth Gilbert. She wrote a book called Eat, Pray, Love. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, this big movie with Julia Roberts. It was the whole thing. And she gave a speech, I think it was at TED. Uh, You've spoken at TED. It was a great, great speech about creativity. And her point was that I'd love for you to comment on, given what has happened to you, is Eat, Pray, Love became the best of the best. International bestseller, hit movie, set her up for life. And then she realized that she had to write again. That she had to come up with something. And quite frankly, if you now tra- time travel with her, her next book was a bomb. And that really caused her and still to this day causes her to push people's thinking about creativity, which then brings me to the question for you. Now that you have won and accomplish what you have accomplished How do you feel when you think about what's next?
0: I guess for me, this is um, pretty straightforward because I don't feel like I was doing the research to achieve a prize. In other words, the the prize or a prize is not the goal. The goal is scientific knowledge. This project that I'm working on continues to be super interesting. In fact, there's... um, there are results that were starting to emerge uh, right before this prize was announced. So, in a sense, it's really clear to me where I want to go next. There's a whole slew of things that I'm I'm excited about. So, I I guess I I don't feel like prizes are ends to themselves. Um, there was a point where I just decided to stop focusing on the first part, but focus on getting it right. Mm. get and and it was incredibly liberating actually to to focus just on the science you' i mean this that's what gets us excited i think for me that was a moment where I think the work became far more creative you know i got into this because i wanted to understand the universe not because I wanted people to recognize my understanding of the universe but because i have a curiosity and i guess i i can only hope that that continues to be true about um, how I proceed forward. I do find myself thinking a lot about I mean I was already starting to think about this I mean in your uh, in your profession, um, you must face this or see this a lot um, which is as we, in a sense, grow up professionally. The way we engage with our work changes. Yeah. Um, so we're not, you know, what you do as an assistant professor, a new young professor, is not the same thing um, as what you're expected to do as a more senior professor. You you shift around your priorities, and that's a that's a ever changing, that's a that's an evolution that you you're continually going through. Prizes um, bring tremendous opportunity with them as, as well as responsibility because as, um, you know, in a sense, you you become somebody who's turned to as, you know, a scientist whose opinion can be respe- uh, respected. So, take it slow. Try to figure out what pieces of this really resonate with you, maybe to come back to the beginning of our conversation. Yep. You know, where is it that you have passion um what's gonna propel you forward you know you have i mean this this certainly uh gives you in some sense it's a it's a it's a new tool or a new asset
1: that can give you um more oomph to pr- to proceed forward but that's your point i mean that that to me is my one of my big takeaways i have two uh but one immediately is the the thing for you is it, it really is the journey, not the destination,
0: yes, uh, as absolutely. the saying
1: goes. Yeah. And your, your journey just expands now or, or, or morphs uh, because of the new opportunities, which by the way you're even talking about them, um, you're just letting it proceed. The other thing that I really come away with is you seem like the same person I met in your office uh, over a year ago. Um, whereas you would not expect that of people who have been through the, the the award process and all the rest,
0: Drew. That is the best compliment I think I've ever received. So thank you very
1: much. <laughs> you are welcome. You are welcome. You are welcome. That no. That I I I'm going to think about this one for a while. But Andrea, thank you for for, for joining us today um, and in imparting what is very applicable. Uh, you know, good advice and good perspective that anybody can use, despite the the where it where it all has come from, most recently. But and most importantly, congratulations! Um, and now get back to work, right? <laughs> Thanks so much,
0: Drew. <laughs> That's Happy what here. it comes
1: down to. Thank <laughs> you, Andrea.